With the spirit-filled role of the husband and wife out of the way, it's time to team them up and see how a spirit-filled home for children looks. Next, Odd Truth for Today with Pastor Phil Howard. When it comes to training and raising our children for Christ, Paul has some specifics for us here in the book of Ephesians. Hi there, and welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. We're back in our series as we survey Ephesians. Today, chapter five, looking at the spirit-filled home, children and parents. What are our responsibilities as parents, and what is the responsibility of children? clearly lined out for us, as we'll see today and tomorrow. Please join us. Here's Pastor Phil Howard now with today's broadcast. Turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians 6. And uh, as you turn there, I want to read a favorite passage of mine about the home from the Old Testament. It's probably my favorite passage. In Deuteronomy 6, I just read it uh, in passing, and then we'll go to Ephesians 6 to look at what a Christian home ought to be about. How do parents and children get along? Who said they get along? Most homes, I don't know what the condition is, but there's certainly enough hostility in the culture to think It's not norm that they do get along. Maybe they just endure each other until the children get out of the home and dad has set the age at age 13. So uh, look at uh, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. He goes through the chapter to say, be careful as you move into this land of Canaan that you do not forget God, that you do not forget the Exodus, that you do not forget you were slaves. And he keeps telling them, keep reminding your children, don't forget where I brought you from. Now we go to Ephesians 6. And I'll read the passage. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because they are always right. That's the revised perversion. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. By the way, My children decided they could make this service today. Pray for them. All three of them. I was hoping I would prepare them for Father's Day. 
that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Look, if you will, to Colossians 3. I think it makes it a little bit clearer on the uh, fathers, for sure, what he means here. And I'll pick up verse 20, chapter 3, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. And that seems to be the emphasis there. Now, I think that uh, uh, we must get the assumptions of this letter. I think many people want to jump into Ephesians 6. And uh, who wouldn't want to jump there and say, this is the kind of home we ought to have. Uh, we ought to be this way. Just as a, a wife could jump in on the husband section and say, this is the kind of husband you ought to be. And him saying to her, this is the kind of wife you ought to be. But there are some assumptions going on here. It's assumed that you have heard read to the congregation the first four chapters. <laughs> and that you just didn't begin this epistle in chapter 6. So it assumes these things. It assumes that you have come to put faith in Christ and that you're being rescued and delivered from your sin on every level before family life. It assumes that you are obeying the command in chapter 5, 18, that you're getting yourself under the filling ministry of the Spirit. And he's really developing what that filling ministry looks like as it's lived out in the varied relationships of life. Uh, marriage, our personal life, uh, work life, the master-slave relationship, and how our enemy Satan will oppose such a life. So that it's easy to jump in and want the benefits of the gospel without the gospel. Wanting a home that only the Spirit can produce without ever getting under the Spirit's control. You can't do Ephesians 6 any more than you can sacrificially love your wife without being under the Spirit's influence. Your home can be a wreck. Uh, there could be no semblance of what Christ looks like in a father or mother in the eyes of the children if the Spirit's power is not in charge of how that home is led. It's really quite a, a thing when you think that you father these children and they can grow up and literally take notes on your whole way of life, the majority of your life, uh, seen in the context of a home and say, I've seen Christ and the Spirit's effects lived out in my home. I've seen the Bible practiced in my home. I don't have to go to a seminar to learn about it. I don't need to go and listen to this uh, seminar, read that book. I know how to read my mom and dad. And they are living manifestations of this truth. And it also assumes that the children being commanded here are saved. So they must be of such an age to obey the command. Uh, it's assuming they also are spirit controlled. That they're operating under the influence of the spirit. And that this is not automatic behavior. Now there's an incentive in the Old Testament to do it. 
It was called the death penalty. That you could stone kids that didn't do this. So that had a way of giving you an incentive. But he doesn't threaten stoning here. He gives a promise. He gives a positive reaffirmation. Live this way. So let's look at what it says and see how it applies to the way we want to live this Christian life. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He did tell the wife to obey. We put that in the wedding vows. You will obey him. But God never told her to obey. He told her to submit. But when it comes to the children, it's pure obedience. And it's a present imperative. I'm telling you, obey your parents. Not just submit, obey. I'm not asking for voluntary cooperation. I'm just saying what they say, do. Now, all scripture that gives us commands from government and different always has the exception that we never obey them to sin. But not, most parents don't tell their children to sin. They tell them to make up their bed, clean up the room, and don't sass them. You know, we're just humane instructions. And so he tells them, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then honor your father and mother. And uh, the one command is an action and the honor picks up an attitude. You may obey them and uh, yet in your spirit be uh, resenting the instruction, resenting the command. Honor goes deeper. It goes to motivation. It goes to attitude. And it's something that's to go on for all of their lives. Matter of fact, this honoring them uh, literally took, under, uh, took the idea of economically underwrite them. And this was the way Social Security operated in the Bible. Its children took care of the folks. That was their Social Security. Gave you a great incentive to have 10 children. Now, we trust government to take care of us. They didn't have that. Social Security in the Bible was your family took care of you. And so you children, honor your mother and father uh, in any way you can. You remember Jesus said religion had fallen into such a bad, bad ways during his time that he gave the illustration that you guys are so hypocritical that when you see your mother and father coming to you because they have a need, you start yelling, Corbin, Corbin. And that meant dedicated as a gift and it was saying this way, oh, mama, you're in need? Well, everything I got in my wallet, I've dedicated to the temple. Corbin, it's already been given. Mom, I would help you, but my church commitment is so heavy that you know I just can't do it. Jesus said, oh, you hypocrites. And he said in 1 Timothy, a religion that doesn't take care of one's own loved ones is as bad as atheism. It's infidelity. It's unimaginable. And the battle in our culture today is the parents resent taking care of the kids and the kids eventually resent having to give any money to help the parents. And it says, deal, do I have to take care of my folks when they get old? And I know how they felt when they took care of me and neither one wants to take care of each other. There's many sinful models of that going on in the culture. And we have the state to do for us. And gratefully, many services done by the state. 
that used to be done primarily by the home. But children, obey, uh, honor. And I don't know that there is a timeline on this. Uh, it wasn't in the first century. We would say today, do this until you leave the home, then you can cuss us. Then you can what? No. You may come under a husband and the primary obedience would be in the marriage, but I would think it would be an ongoing attitude. I'm willing to obey my parents as long as it's in keeping with uh, God's word, doesn't violate it. And for sure, I'm going to honor them all of my life. I'm going to give them emotional support, personal respect, and even economic help if that is called upon. Now, he said, if you do this, there's a commandment that comes with it, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, uh, I've seen people struggle with this, that it means that if I was good to my parents, I'll live to be 80. Well, that's not necessarily what he's saying, that it may go well with you, that you may have long life, because in the Old Testament, uh, over and over, verses are given through Exodus 21, right along, that there literally was a death penalty uh, for dishonoring your parents. You were obligated, uh, the, the community was obligated to pick up stones and stone your own child. You see, the Old Testament had no jails. You either paid economically reparations or you died, or it was a eye for an eye, but they did not house prisoners. No such thing in all the Old Testament. They had no prisons. Quick justice. If you wronged a person or you knocked out their eye, let's knock your eye out. You, you abuse their property, repay what you did and add 20%. They always added 20%. Oh, oh, you, you killed somebody. We need a lawyer? No, we need the townspeople to stone you. So it kept crime down pretty well. It, uh, and it seemed to help the national budget. They didn't spend a lot of money feeding prisoners in the Old Testament. And so that if you obeyed this command, you would stay alive longer than normal. I mean, you just read the Old Testament. You say, oh, this is barbaric. Uh, call it whatever you want. It's just what they did. You read it in Exodus and Deuteronomy. And it was really better than what happened in other cultures around them. Uh, the well-being and long life. Well, in this, you know, in biblical times, if you lived past 45, uh, you were doing pretty good. We start out with long life early in Genesis, but after the flood, men begin to live less time. They believe that's from the sun and the uh, aging process of it. Uh, but life expected to who knows what a long life is? But uh, he said, there's a promise. God promises you well-being. It'll be far better for you and more days than you would have had otherwise. So he does give a promise with us, a great incentive. If you're good to your parents, you've really done a wonderful thing for yourself because God looks on and God will honor that attitude, whether they're saved or unsaved. Your parents don't have to be honorable to be honored. They don't have to be right for you to do it and be right. It's there. Be as good to them as you know how to be. And uh, I think the word of God's clear on this everywhere. 
Then it goes on to say, uh, fathers, uh, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I think that uh, this fathers would include the parents as a team. He always addressed the man as a whole, even Proverbs, my son, listen to the instructions of your father. And they'll include the mother once in a while, but it really is a team effort. But he's going to the head of the household, the one responsible. And I think it's quite interesting that uh, he does go right to the father because it's easy, and it was easy in this culture to assume that the mother was fully responsible for the training of the children. But here he addresses the fathers. And in a, uh, a, a household in those days, you could have slaves, children, you had many people, but they came under the authority of the head of that household, which was the father. And so he says, uh, I'm gonna talk to you about training your children. Uh, do not exasperate your children. Let me read some things to you about uh, a, a quote from William Barclay, a background on the father's power in the culture of this day. Listen to these things. Uh, in the Roman system, the father's power was unlimited. He could sell his children to slaves. He could make them work in the fields, even in chains. He could punish as he liked, and he could even inflict the death penalty, and there was no law that would judge him. Uh, there is a very interesting thing that when a child was born, uh, there was this custom of child exposure where they would often take them and leave them at the temple steps of one of their gods just to die. And uh, much like Amy Carmichael when she was in South Africa and when she was in India, when they wanted to get rid of especially the girls, she would collect these children at the temple steps and start an orphanage. And much of Amy Carmichael's ministry was rescuing children that had been exposed to die. But listen to this. When a child was born, it was placed before its father's feet. And if the father stooped and lifted the child, that meant that he acknowledged it and wished it to be kept. If he turned and walked away, it meant that he refused to acknowledge it and the child could quite literally be thrown out. And then Barclay, with others, quotes a famous letter written in 1 BC. Uh, it was a man by the name Hilarion, and he writes to his wife, Elise. And this is what he says. He's in Alexandria, and he writes home, Hilarion to Elise, his wife, heartiest greetings, and to my dear Barris and other difficult names. Know that we are still even now in, in Alexandria. Do not worry if when all others return, I remain in Alexandria. I beg and beseech of you to take care of the little child. And as soon as we receive wages, I will send them to you. If, good luck to you, you have a child, she's pregnant, ready to deliver any moment. And he says, if you have a child, if it is a boy, let it live. If it is a girl, throw it out. And I told Aphrodisius to tell me, do not forget me 
How can I forget you? I beg you, therefore, not to worry. So right in the course of a friendly domestic uh, letter, real friendly, just as a casual thing, by the way, throw out a baby girl. Uh, and nothing seems barbaric. It just seems to be in the flow of life. Take care of all these domestic things. By the way, kill the girl if you have a baby girl. Seneca said at this time, we slaughter a fierce ox, we strangle a mad dog, we plunge the knife into sickly cattle lest they taint the herd. Children who are born weakly and deformed, we drown. So that when Paul addresses the home in this context, these people are coming out of paganism. They're living into one of the most idolatrous cities of Asia Minor, Ephesus. They have just come to faith in Christ, let's say. Let's say they've been saved two years. They're like many that have always grown up in this church. First generation Christians do not know what a Christian home looks like. Uh, first generation, they grew up in a home with bad language, alcohol, unfaithfulness, out of control, lots of sin, no biblical standards. And all of a sudden, let's just imagine you become a believer and you've grown up with all of that and you've been under such a father who had the power of life and death and now you've become a Christian. And all of a sudden, you, you've learned about being under the control of the spirit and God says, good, I want to tell you how to treat a woman. You say, men, nobody treats a woman that way. He says, God does. The Holy Spirit does. You're under a new management. I don't want to treat her that way. Well, we're going to have to work with you. I'm going to grieve you. I'm going to train you. I'm going to get you to the divine model. And then all of a sudden, these kids that you could just, at a whim, kill your infant daughters, Kill a son, make a slave out of him if you want. I mean, an absolute potentate. And now he says something, by the way, be considerate of children. It blew them away. Hey, I run this place. They get along with me. I don't have to get along with them. They're zeros. And all of a sudden he's saying, now that you're Christians, I want you to have a different attitude towards your children. And now that the Holy Spirit wants to empower you to manifest Christ on every social level in your life, not only wife to husband, but husband to wife, now parents to children, he just says, by the way, don't exasperate your children. Don't discourage them. Treat them in tenderness, train them, and instruct them. Does it say a whole lot? But it's a total mind shift of what to do with these dear little children around your feet. And uh, I wonder, you may not have this difficulty. You may truly love children, may have grown up in a kind home. Uh, maybe you're a second, third generation Christian. Do you know how it works? Wonderful. You're, you're greatly, greatly blessed. If not, you have the adventure of establishing a new order in the way you respond to family and relatives. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. 
Thank you for joining us today. It's our prayer that our time together here on Truth For Today encourages you in your walk and relationship with Christ. As we close out our broadcast, we would also like to invite you to contact us if you have a question about the broadcast, a prayer request. Maybe you'd like to order a copy of today's broadcast. We do have them available. Simply contact us and let us know of your interest. You can reach us at 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. You are also welcome to write to us. Our address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue. We're here at Suite 278, Hercules, California. Zip code is 94547. Now, another way to contact us and learn more about us would be to visit our website, valleybible.org. It's there that we have all kinds of information about who we are, what we believe, directions to the church, service times. And we also have a lot of resource material stored there as well. Simply go to valleybible.org and spend some time exploring our website, finding out about us a bit more. If you would like to become a TFT sustainer, we would love to hear from you. This broadcast is aired daily here on KFAX as we are able to partner with you, our listeners, financially. Now, as a TFT sustainer, you'll receive a quarterly newsletter, a once a year special gift. Take a break with Pastor Phil. Our weekly video devotional is available to you as well. And again, it's all as a TFT sustainer. When you contact us with your gift of any amount, we'll sign you up. 855-833-9864 or valleybible.org or you can write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California, and the zip code is 94547. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. God bless.